0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Third and Nerd. As always, I am your host, Josh Webb, and this week I am pleased to be breaking down the upcoming, well, I would have said barn burner between USC and Notre Dame, but I don't think it's going to be much of an anything, uh, at least not from my perspective. But (laughs) to gain a perspective that is worthwhile, I have solicited the help of You may know him on Twitter as JW88. I know him as John Walters. John, how are you doing today, man? I'm wonderful, Josh. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, it is my pleasure. It is my pleasure. Uh, So let me just get first things out of the way here, because I'm not even sure where to start on Notre Dame, so I'll let you just sort of guide me into that. But what I want to get... Is your opinion on what you've seen out of USC this year to start? Uh, Okay, are are you a bit surprised by what you've seen? Is this about par for the course? Where where do your where do your thoughts lie?
1: I would say I'm a little bit surprised um, because it's we're 11 games into the season and I don't think USC has a, a personality yet as a team or an identity or at least not one. That I'd want my team to be associated with. I, I watch them on offense, and I don't know what they are other than when J.T. Daniels is quarterbacking, fixing his eyes most of the time on Saint Brown, um, and occasionally finding Pittman. And uh, it's not—I don't want to pin it on him. He's a true freshman being thrust into an important role, um, but it's just weird. They're not a running team. They're not a, a mentally disciplined team. They're not, um, uh, they're not a team, you know, in football, there's talent, and then there's making plays. And there's, you know, and, and there's a sense of this is a team that has three interceptions all season long, as you know, uh, USC. They're just not a team that creates opportunities for itself. And um, it's really one of the least inspiring USC teams I can remember seeing for quite a while.
0: Yeah, you yeah, have some fan game fans uh, actually harkening back to the Hackett era. Mm-hmm. So see, normally I think you know when they were talking about Kiffin being this guy or Stark being that guy, I'm like, no, no, no. Like <laughs> they were their own guys, but they to right. in the highs with the lows. You know, I mean, Stark, Stark kind of did some good things. He did some bad things. Kiffin uh, mm-hmm. had that ten-win season sandwiched in there. Were it not for both sanctions, right. you could argue that USC were playing as well as anybody at the country at the end of the season.
1: And look how many scholarship athletes Kiffin was working with, and Sarkisian for the beginning as well. They were they were handcuffed to a certain degree.
0: <laughs> uh, this season doesn't feel like that. But you can't say that it's Clay Hackett overall because of what he's achieved, right? Or can you? Uh, you mean Clay Helton. Um, I I called him Clay Hackett for a reason. That's 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 the amalgam uh, that that fans have the, the sort of Portman Two, if you will, that fans have 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 ascribed him this year. I'm sorry, I, I actually thought you, you'd heard that.
1: You're going over my head with these brilliant words that I'm not used to hearing on podcasts like Portman Two and Amalgam. But I'm, I will
0: catch up. I will try to catch up as I. You're a Notre Dame-educated guy. I'm sure my lowly (laughs) CSUB education, Cal State Bakersfield, can keep up with you. I will will do my best to, uh, to, you know, acclimate to this
1: conversation. Yes, I think uh, they're just not playing smart football. My high school football coach used to say, and this was not an inspiring phrase, but I agree with him, somebody loses. In football, unlike other sports, there's more chances to shoot yourself in the foot than, than in any other sport, and, and what good teams do is not shoot themselves in the foot, not commit penalties that are dumb, not commit turnovers, not get yourself into third and 17 situations. And I have not seen as much USC football as you have this year, but I've seen enough to know that USC beats itself more than other teams beat it. Um, I thought the last five minutes of the Cal game, should just be put into a time capsule for USC fans to watch it. This is as bad as it, it gets. This is as bad as it should get. Well, uh, oh, you and,
0: thought. Then they oh, yeah. came back with the UCLA game.
1: And, and that wasn't good either, obviously, but but at least it was competitive in a sense with this, with a rivalry game. What, what they did in Cal, the two things that just blew my mind were, one, it was the same third down blitz that Cal used on consecutive series in the fourth quarter With the same player that USC did not adjust to, that resulted in sacks for Daniels, that killed both of those drives, and then of course the Iman Marshall um, tougher than you taunting to the sideline the Cal after they stopped Cal on third down. Like those are just unforgivable mistakes, and at the you know it goes to coaching. I I know that it was you know Marshall's move, but you know this is this all falls on the head coach. So yes, Clay Hackett, I'm with you.
0: I want to stay with Iman Marshall for a minute because this is a guy coming into that game who – and I know it was a setup because I happen to know that that Rich works closely with these athletes uh, and interviews them quite often. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I know when he asked if anybody's seen Iman Marshall's stats this year, I know he knew what he was asking. Mm-hmm. And Iman, you know, willingly took that, posted his stats on there, and mm-hmm. it was something like eight receptions or 13 receptions or something like that for, 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 for like 120 yards. And he's happy about this, and as any defensive back should be. You've only given up eight some odd receptions on the year for 120 yards. yet. Yeah, you, under most – circumstances can say that you have had a good year mm-hmm. then there are the personal foul penalties right? and, and I, what I saw with Iman on Saturday was part and parcel of what I've seen of this team all year. Am I, am I wrong in that assessment?
1: No, I, I mean if I'm a coach or even a fan of USC, I don't want my defensive back posting his personal stats when my team's record is 5 and 6 who cares? Like, who cares? You you will not see winning teams and winning players defending themselves individually when the team is as, is as poor as this team has been, or, or just mediocre, I should say, at least. So, uh, you know, there, that that speaks to team character. That speaks to leadership. This is a senior. Um, and what I don't see on this team, and you're close than I am, is I don't see leadership. I don't see, uh, you know, I saw a little bit of, Actual joy when Jack Sears was the starter against ASU, at least for part of that game. Uh, and again, I don't know if, if what the, the culture inside the, the you know, locker room is. I don't know what players think about them respectively. Uh, I just, I just thought there was a little bit of sense of a, a spark on that team that day. Um, but, but again, like going back to Marshall, why are you posting that stat when your team is that bad? Um, it's not It's not relevant. It's, it doesn't matter. You're at USC. You are at one of the five best programs in the country. Um, and there's like nothing that you do should offset the fact that this is one of the worst seasons your school has had in, I would guess, you know, 15 to 20 years. Um, that said, this is the only team in the country that has an opportunity to knock off two top 10 teams in the same season. And, and so... The, the opportunity this Saturday is actually quite attractive for the Trojans.
0: And still post the losing record if they do knock off 210 teams. Like, let's, <laughs> not, let's not forget that. Like, it would be almost akin to the time that the Raiders went 6-0 in the division, or 5-0 and <laughs> in the division, excuse me, and those were the only games that they won. Right. Uh, it, it wound up. They wound up not making the playoffs. They're the only team to go undefeated in the division and not make the playoffs. Um, it would be futility along those standards, uh, yeah. to, to be sure. Right. So
1: it, it's a strange. It, it's a bizarre year. It's. It's. You know, some programs have rebuilding seasons. Um, you you lose Sam Darnold. You're gonna like, you know, lose a little bit. But what's just weird is, I don't think USC has a running back that's going to come close to having a thousand yard season this year um there's just different parts of the ball be it you know the secondary the running game they, that are all they're all falling off they're all sliding and people out there i'm in new york city i i grew up out west but like you guys have a much better sense of whether or not uh clay helton is the kind of coach who can turn this around um but you know as a as a an alumnus of a school that plays him every year. He's that guy that like you kind of want to see in place for a long time. I, I think people were chanting at the Rose Bowl, keep Clay Helton like UCLA fans were, because there's just this sense that this is, a, a, you know, a Ted Smith, uh, Larry Smith style, Ted Tolner style, top out at eight wins a season USC program, and not the monster that USC has always has the potential to be.
0: You know, and I'm curious. About this, because I wonder if it's not an example of of too many cooks in the kitchen. There's another phrase that comes to mind, but I don't particularly like the image it, imagery it conjures up. Okay. But but trying to do too many things at once, and 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 USC sort of trying to to serve. The idea of 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 being a running team. No, we're going to serve the idea of JT Daniels' talents. Well, mm-hmm. no, he's not ready to be a passer yet, so we should go back to being a running team. Oh, well, he showed us in that game that we really limited the playbook, that he's ready for more. It seems to be a case of the <laughs> last game dictating the next.
1: And that goes and that goes to the offensive coordinator, who who was T. Martin, but I, I mean he still is, but I guess he's not calling the plays anymore. No,
0: he's not calling them anymore. Right. So
1: it's just it's just a philosophy. Um, you have to, you know, as coaching staff, you have to tailor your philosophy around what your players' talents are to a certain degree. Um, one, you know, USC has this upcoming opponent, Notre Dame, and here's what they figured out. They figured out that even though they had a dynamic quarterback in Brandon Wimbush. He was not allowing them to take advantage of all the talent they had on offense because it was too much about him and he wasn't enough of a difference maker. But so they brought in Ian Book, who was not going to run for a 50 yard touchdown and get on the, you know, Sports Center highlights, but who was going to make their three or four best receivers so much better. And it was going to be able to complete passes to ten different guys. Can I ask in the game? you something
0: real quick here? Sure. What What was the completion percentage that that ultimately got Wimbush sat? It was something that they highlighted, sort of coming into this year, that ultimately got him sat. Well, I think
1: I mean that is the, uh, the that is the symptom, but it's not the cause. But yeah, it was in the it was in the mid fifties. But again, like. You know, when you see something on the skin, it's not the disease, it's the symptom of the disease. And the disease, to me, with Brandon Wimbush is uh one footwork, two progression in, in the pocket, uh things that Ian Book is infinitely better than he is at. And Brandon Wimbush can do some things that Ian Book cannot do. But when you watch Ian Book at quarterback, you see a guy who is not going to make mistakes He was going to find the open receiver, even if it's his third read on that play. And it's going to get you an easy five-yard completion on first down, even if it's not a big chunk play. So what was going on with Brandon Wimbush? too many series were uh, second and 10, third and 12, and the offense wasn't – it was way too many three and outs. Notre Dame fans have gotten spoiled in the last, I guess it's seven weeks now, um, how few three and out series they see. And and that, obviously, you're keeping your wide receivers happy, you're keeping the defense happy, um, and you're slowly demoralizing the other team. I, I They're not a 66-point football team, but they're a team that will demoralize the other team because they're going to move the ball down the field, or as Reese Davis would like to say, matriculate it, and and they're not going to hurt themselves.
0: Which, which my friend Lewis is one of his pet peeves. He's a linguist. Uh, uh, actually, was an adjunct over at the University of uh, Wisconsin-Madison, uh, and uh, he always says that, that that doesn't even mean anything to matriculate the ball down the field. That's just announcers he's right. using big words.
1: He's, he's, he's right. It's like inconceivable in The Princess Bride. It's not right. quite what you think it means.
0: Right. <laughs> well, and, and, and but what, what I did want to highlight with uh, uh, um, with Wimbush was, was one thing. Does when when you look at a guy like Daniels, and, and, and it, certainly we've highlighted the failures with Clay Helton come or T. Martin come Clay Helton, but one thing that we haven't kind of hit on is the shortcomings of J. T. Daniels. Uh, in full breadth, and this is a guy that I think was he he a five star. I gotta be honest, man. I, I I I didn't watch the kid play in high school. I understand mm-hmm. that a seventy two and nine touchdown to interception ratio is is bound to garner you some attention. Mm-hmm. But when I see a kid like Trevor Lawrence step onto the field versus mm-hmm. a kid like J T Daniels, there is a very clear distinction about Absolutely. which one to me is a five star. And you can well, say whatever you will about Clemson being a top 5 team, the talent around USC should yield the same results.
1: <laughs> Similar, like, maybe
0: not the same. It's not it's not fair to people to well, expect people to do what Dabo's doing. That's just no, that's even like
1: it's not but we you know like we watch the same games, we listen to the same ESPN announcers. And I listened to the people play up Sam Darman for three years, but he's actually talented and and maybe wasn't as a true freshman because he wasn't even in then, from what I remember. But this kid came in, and he went to a five-star high school at Modern Day. I don't know that he's a five-star talent. Again, USC is going to be playing against a quarterback this, this Saturday who's also from California and who was a three-star rated talent. And when you watch these two guys in the field, it's going to be – if not night and day, it's going to be dusk and dawn. It's it's extremely different. And again, I would tell your fan your you know, listeners, watch Ian Book's footwork. Watch him in the pocket. Why he's a natural. Like he's I don't want to say he's Andrew he's Trevor Lawrence. Um I'm just saying he is a natural quarterback. Um and, and I just think JT Daniels was overrated and thrust into this position far too soon. Um and I just don't I haven't seen whatever it was that made them uh, say he's a five-star quarterback. I really haven't.
0: And and I think more to my point with this guy is that I think, and Lord knows you heard the story, because it only took until USC really sort of hit that Mendoza line before they stopped talking about his high school path <laughs> right. of, at every game. But but you, you you sort of look at the fact that J T Daniels was held back uh, coming out one year. They wanted him to repeat that grade for athletic reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, then 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 he sort of it, it graduated early. I just I think that there's something to be said at the bare minimum about having a requisite number of varsity years. Yeah, in high school. Yes, possibly, but I I just think again, like I don't I, to come I mean, in and process at which they're asking a kid to do at U.S. Okay, when you look at Jack Sears, who's been in that office, if if you're if if our supposition here is that uh, 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 JT Daniels is going to come in, and, and at his base, he was – like, i I got to be honest with you. I didn't even see how JT Daniels was giving this kid a competition if mm-hmm. there actually was a competition. Because this same staff, this same play-calling team, this mm-hmm. same football team – had a game in which Jack Sears completed well over – not well over – over 70% of his passes, ding, 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 JT Daniels hasn't hit that once. Not Mm -hmm. once this year. Mm -hmm. And the kid threw for 235 yards, a modest sum, but here's the kicker. He didn't have any interceptions. JT Daniels is about a one for one.
1: (laughs) And, again, if I have this correct, Sears went to San Clemente, correct? and and, yes. same school Sam Darnold. Cool, Darnold. And Sam Darnold and I I don't want to go down the conspiracy theorists like hole that USC coaches are trying to keep Modern Day happy because Modern Day is the most fertile feeding ground. I I I'd hate to think that's it. I will i I heard like, the rumors. Okay, so I don't know, but like it's up to USC's coaches not to put either quarterback in a position where they're overwhelmed. And that's what they're not doing. Uh and if I am Notre Dame's defensive staff and I'm looking at films of USC. This is like a, a two plus two math test for me because, you know, we know who he's going to uh, when the ball, you know, it, when it's a pass play. We their tendencies are so easy for even you or me to see. Uh, this is this is such an easy game, and it's funny because I'll go back 11 seasons uh, for your your listeners. Anyone who remembers this, Notre Dame was in a similar position. They had a hot shot freshman quarterback from. Westlake, California, and Jimmy Claussen, who came in with a ton of hype and was completely overwhelmed as a true freshman. The, the Notre, this USC-Notre Dame game that year, he had already gotten injured, and they spared him. Um, they kind of threw a kid named Evan Sharpley to the Wolves against one of the better USC teams you'll ever see, and, and Notre Dame got destroyed that day. And and I think, honestly, that Weitz was actually just trying to protect, uh, if not Clawson's body, at least his self-esteem. But, you know, these things have a, a way of being cyclical. Eleven years ago, Notre Dame was in the same position, quarterback, freshman, completely over, over his head uh, and getting his, you know, hat handed to him. So I don't know if that's the deal uh, or, or we're going to get, like, history to repeat itself on the, on the opposite side. But what I do know is it's up to USC coaches to not put either quarterback in this position every week. Uh, and so far, they have been.
0: If you had to isolate – and with this, I think we can move the conversation from USC to sort of – I sort of – I feel like USC are the bigger story in this only because I expect Notre Dame to come in. And I'm going to say this even though it doesn't make sense. I expect them to hold serve. I really do. They've been playing like a top-four team pretty much all year, especially when you take the whole of the year in retrospect, when mm-hmm. they were sort of getting held out for unfairly for teams like Ohio State, which, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight now. It seems laughable that Ohio State was ever ahead of Notre Dame this year. But, that, damn, that's where we were then. That's mm-hmm. what we thought then. We, each week it's an opportunity to gauge what we knew. True. True. what when you look at Daniel's to me what are a couple things that this staff could do to make his life easier against an NFL caliber defense like Notre Dame um i
1: first you know, first running plays that are not predictable counter plays trap plays um quick short passes um, you know, don't make him take more than three-step drop, or even if, if, it's a, if it's a shotgun, quick out of his hands and you know, under two seconds. Uh, set longer things up. You watch, uh, you know, the other thing about him, he's not particularly athletic. In an age of the athletic quarterback where so many schools have a guy sitting on the, on the sidelines who can play, JT Daniels does not help himself because he's not an RPO guy. Um, Does it seem
0: like Sears was more athletic on that note? Because most of his and, success came on the bootleg. Right, and so like that—that that is actually when I when I first
1: saw JT Daniels and what really shocked me. And I hate to be like he's an he's a 19 year old kid. I'm not trying to rip on him as personally, but from a football standpoint, I was like he is not the classic USC godlike quarterback. He's not Carson Palmer. He's not Mott Liner. He is not you know. um... Uh, uh, Sam Darnold like he does not stand tall in the pocket or he can't burn you with his legs so is this really the best USC has that that from from the you know from Southern California that's what blew my mind watching this in the beginning like this is Southern California this is the best quarterback USC can put on the field Uh I did not understand that at all Uh at all uh, look at every other school like <laughs> even in the Pac-12 like how is USC not getting a guy um, or have a guy behind Darnold who who could step in and, and be more athletic? So it would help if he was more athletic, but since he's not, then make it easier for him by short passes, by having some sort of running game. You know, the the problem this week is you're playing a team that is number two nationally in the country in pass efficiency defense. Uh, you're playing a team who is pretty good at stopping the run, like. This is this is just red meat for Notre Dame this week. And if you watched last week, Syracuse lost Eric Dungy, and they brought in a true freshman, uh, Tommy DeVito no, and I
0: felt bad for because they yeah. came into that game with, with I mean they came into that game with an idea, right? I mean, we're number twelve against number four. This should be competitive and then it's like, oh shit, Eric Dungey went out. Like yeah. what's and, plan B?
1: And and by the way, a team that's averaging forty four points a game. Like they can score. And they, they were held to a, a, you know, excuse me, field goal in the final 10 seconds. And, and having gone to school, and, you know, at Notre Dame and understanding this time of year in November, let me tell you, these kids could not be more excited about a trip to Southern California on Thanksgiving week like and, and feeling like wearing T-shirts. These guys are, are just so fired up to be playing in a real stadium in sunny weather, even though it's at night, like warming up and they're going to just, uh, they're going to let loose. They're uh, going to go
0: from putting on a show in in not not in its current state, but but in its incarnations. One of the oldest stadiums on the East Coast and one of the most historic stadiums on the East Coast uh, mm-hmm. to now uh, putting on a show in in the same house in which the Rams are going to host the Chiefs
1: tonight.
0: Uh, tonight, right? A- and they're all game. watching that game and they're thinking.
1: We're going to be playing that. thing. Remember, like, I'm not 19 anymore, and you're not either. But, like, remember what that must have felt like? Like, you're 19, you're watching this game I'm on Monday night football. Too. and too. And you're thinking, we're going to be in that stadium in five days. You're watching it in the dorm or off-campus apartment with your friends, and you're all, like, thinking about that's going to be your place, and you're also going to be on national television on ABC uh, on, on Saturday night. So you're just fired up. And, and um, the other thing about this is, like, this, these guys, most of the starters in Notre Dame are juniors and seniors, and I bring that up because that means almost all of them were in the Coliseum two years ago when they got embarrassed, humiliated by USC, um, and, and they deserved to be. They weren't a good team, so it's two years later, and uh, I don't want to say it's a revenge tour, but those guys remember that day. It was rainy. They were terrible. They were five and, I mean, they were four and uh, seven going into that game. So the tables have completely turned for these two programs in the, in the last two years.
0: The sort of national joke that, that became the bookend of that 4-8 and eight season, that running, hey, did you hear Notre Dame went 4-8 joke that just mm-hmm. would not seem to die, is now going to be bookended with a victory over your most hated rival to secure. You were going to secure a playoff spot not just get into the playoff; you are going to, in theory, secure a playoff spot. I, I think at this point, the, the nation—it took a little bit of persuading to see Notre <laughs> Dame as a top four team—but I, I think yeah. at this point, we all assume it's a foregone conclusion. That I think the last three weeks team. have done a
1: lot to to help that. I mean, it's like three three high profile games, um, and, and this is going to be number four, uh, and they've they've looked. Better in November than they had the previous two months, and November's not been a good month for Brian Kelly since except for really his first season um and I'll, I'll make a slight abridgment of what you said I would say for Notre Dame people, Michigan is our most hated rival u s c is our biggest rival there's there's almost like a mutual That's fair. appreciation but but to bookend your season with a win against Michigan on game one. And a win at USC in Game 12 is is pretty nice. is a pretty nice season to wrap up in a bow if, if they can do it.
0: Yeah, and, and, and let's sort of get to what we should expect to see on on Saturday. What. Aside from Ian Book, who do mm-hmm. you expect to eat on Saturday? You, 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 And I know that it sort of seems like we're taking a shot at USC, but I want to keep him on here. I'm following the logic. For you, for me, this seems like a two-plus-two game. Coaching, uh, this appears to be a mismatch at every level. A guy who understands what it takes to coach at the NFL versus a guy who really is struggling to find his feet in college.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think, and this is what's been – the reason Notre Dame has had such a good season, uh, everybody will leave a little, but no one's going to get the, the turkey leg. Like, that's how this team wins. They're, you're going to see Miles Boykin and Clay, and Chase Claypool, who are both six foot four wide outs, make really good catches. You're going to see Elysee Mack, who's a Bishop Corman alum, uh, you know, do well. You've got three go to guys who are all six foot four and have exhibited, I mean, just really, really good hands this year. Uh, you 've got a the the hunter Renfro incarnation and chris Zink, five foot eleven former walk on who doesn 't miss a thing that 's thrown near him so you 've got right there four real good targets uh, that book will will use all game no one 's going to be none of those four is going to dominate singularly but that 's why they 're so tough to guard um, dexter williams has has been averaging about hundred and thirty yards a game so that 's that 's what they 've got going for him and and like They'll go two or three deep on the running backs. This isn't a team with a Heisman Trophy candidate. Um, defensively, it's the same situation. Julian Love just got a, a Thorpe Award finalist named today, one of the top three. But I would argue that Aloha Gilman, who plays safety, is the more valuable defensive back. So it it's on and on like that. Um, they're, they're just, again, there is no... Uh, Quentin Nelson on this team. That was last year's, you know, stud who went, I think, number six overall to the Colts. And But there are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: which, which, by the way, it's, it's apropos that you do bring him up today, uh, considering Baldy highlighted uh, the play of him just, you know, this is Gator right. country, just it. sitting on dudes.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that Quentin Nelson is the best player of the Brian Kelly era, honestly. Uh, maybe Jalen Smith. But he, you know, I was going
0: to say Jalen Smith is up there for me.
1: Jalen Smith and, and those is, guys. But I think Quentin Nelson deserved to win the Outland last year. Again, this is a team that lost two offensive linemen in the first nine overall picks in the draft last year. So they'd have a reason to, like, feel bad for themselves in terms of talent loss. But they're just, they're a solid team. And, and, um, this happens occasionally, like, if, if there's some serendipity, there's some just good chemistry, there's a few guys who were, you know, real studs coming out of high school, like Jerry Tillery, uh, and then there are guys like Ian Book, Chris Fink, Drew Frankwill, who are giving way more than the coaching staff ever would have expected out of them, um, and it's all just falling together, you know, and who knows, like, if they lose to Michigan in game one, maybe it's a totally different season, but you know, like, football seasons build. They evolve for some teams, and they devolve for others, and... With every win, this is a more confident team now. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday. Some programs, this is like a bridge year. You go into a season hoping you can win a few games, and then if you have a year like this, you feel like you're going to win every game. Like I go back to like USC in maybe 2003 versus what happened. with. By the time it was 2005 and 2006, the other team was defeated as soon as USC walked onto the field most of the time. And Notre Dame isn't there yet, but a season like this can maybe give them that confidence. Um, this reminds me of the 88 Notre Dame team because they didn't quite have that confidence. But from 1989 to 1993, Notre Dame felt like it was going to win every game it played. Uh, and it, there was just a different sense of confidence. And USC had that from, I'd say, 2004 to 2008. Um, and, and, and you know. It, but it takes a season like this to get to that sense of uh, you know invincibility
0: i'm curious just because y- you know we're here but but for you when when you look at this season what what are what are those i mean is it is this somewhat similar to to maybe that 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 seventy seven to seven win for for clemson uh is 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 this is this that that sort of that sort of launching point with the guys that you think, okay, it it's it's maybe not where Clemson is yet, but this could be if things start to fall right, especially with Ian Book being where he's at. You're looking you're looking at a team, a group of guys that like you said, could could win games moving forward. Could certainly be a contender uh in the Tagabaloa era, which seems to be mm. unfair to anybody not next to Tagabaloa, <laughs> I, I do believe
1: that this, this team can give Clemson a very good game and, and even beat them. I'm not saying I'd, I'd favor them to win, but I don't see why that's not a game within a touchdown spread of, of one another. Um, Clemson's deeper. Uh, Clemson has, you know, the most dominant defensive line outside of Tuscaloosa, if, if not including Tuscaloosa. Um, but I, you know, I think Notre Dame's a smart senior team that that is is going to give anybody trouble. Um, uh, outside of maybe Alabama, which, and again, like you know, I don't know anybody's going to give Alabama real trouble. But that's this is to me, I think what's been interesting to, to see evolve in the last three to four weeks is how people were actually questioning if Notre Dame even still unbeaten belonged in the top four, and now to the questions being. Can they hang with Clemson? Can they hang with Alabama? They've, To me, they've established without a doubt that they are one of the top two to four teams in the country. It's not even a question anymore. Um, the, the Alabama question is something that is, you know, open to everybody. Like, is Clemson good enough to hang with Alabama? But, yeah, Notre Dame can hang with Clemson, I it's think. Sort
0: of, it sort of seems – I'm going to fall back on that word serendipitous to that Michigan – is going to be here at the end, because both of these teams, I think at some point, even though Michigan's the most hated rivalry, I think at some point this year you can sort of understand and respect what they went through, because they were mocked. They were derided. Oh, completely. It went from Michigan's a joke, like they don't even know what they're going to do with Shea Patterson. They're Mm -hmm. misusing him, to... This Michigan team's a lot better than Ohio State, and yeah. they haven't even played yet.
1: They turned the corner against Wisconsin, I thought. And it's a great analogy because, you know, 2017 Notre Dame had to overcome the 2016 4-8 season, and this Michigan team had to overcome not as bad a season last year, but a disappointing season after, you know, the first two seasons went 10-3. and three. So, you know, uh, a ton of credit to Harbaugh, a ton of credit to that you know, program for where they are uh, I'm really curious, I've sort of joked at their expense that their, their revenge tour is just like a Midwestern indie band tour, because they haven't left the Midwest except to play one game at Rutgers, which is like, you know, what is that? So so uh, what's fascinating to me is, let's say Michigan wins out, then they're most likely with the nation's best defense going to play Alabama. And here's your chance to like let everybody know that you're really as good as you all are saying. Because you're going to get Alabama uh, in, a, in a playoff game, and and you know I, I secretly, not even secretly, believe that part of the reason Michigan uh, has been you know, lobbying that they're better than Notre Dame is because they don't want to be in the four spot, and I don't blame them. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to be in the four spot as long as Alabama's undefeated. But as a as a game, uh, it would be great to watch Michigan with their defense, you know, be tested against Alabama.
0: Which seems odd to say about a Clemson team that really is almost just as stupid. But when you look at them, you say Tua Tagovailoa can beat me two ways. Trevor Lawrence can still beat me two ways, but he's not as good at them as Tua Tagovailoa.
1: Absolutely um. not. No. <laughs> there was, there was um. a throw Tagovailoa made in the Mississippi State game early a couple weeks two weeks ago that. It was toward the pylon. It was the pylon. throw where
0: I turned the game off.
1: Oh, my God. The guy wasn't even clear yet. Like, he was still behind. He was – like, the, the defensive back was, in fr- like, right between two of the, Tagovailoa and the receiver. And he just threw the ball right to the pylon, and that guy made the catch. And I thought, like, yeah, it's
0: not even fair.
1: Like, he's no. not even open. And I think
0: the announcers went back and highlighted that play about about four or five times, saying just like look at this, like you guys want to talk about not fair. Like the guy's not even open yet. Yeah. Like it's a combination of, of good route running plus an unbeatable throw equals a touchdown almost every time. But right. but um Absolutely, yeah, yep. I don't, I don't, I've, I've not seen a player. I mean, I think Alabama can rest easy on the idea that they'll eventually have a player drafted in, in the <laughs> NFL first round at every think, position. Because Lord knows that's a program starved for success.
1: There, they're, um, we've all, you know, sending out flowers for them, hoping that they're the little engine that could. But you know what they are? They're a great example as USC fans and, and even Notre Dame fans can appreciate. Like, it's hard to maintain. Like, you know, go back 10 years at USC and we were just, you know, you were rolling. And, and Notre Dame had that a long time ago. It And you change coaches and things change. And maintenance is really, really difficult. Consistency is really, really difficult. It never gets the credit it deserves. And it takes a humbling season like this at USC or what Notre Dame had in 2016 and for the Weiss era and before to realize, like, you know, what, what Nick Saban's doing year in and year out, like people just think it's automatic pilot. It's not. It's hard to do. Uh, and, and and to have guys come out every week and putting up that kind of performance uh, is, is just amazing. But, you know, to that, let's say they went out. Let's say they, you know, beat Auburn and then they, they beat Georgia. If that happens, what's fascinating then is do you want Oklahoma, Washington State, or Michigan? Well, Oklahoma and Washington State are offensive juggernaut that can't stop anybody, even though Washington's got a slightly better defense. So, I want Michigan in number four, because that is the closest chance we have to an interesting game, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Circling back to to this uh, uh, FC game, I want Mm -hmm. to talk about a a couple matchups that could see some early success for Notre Dame, such as Anybody lining up over the a gap, really? Um, I I, I just like I sort of I I have to look at this through the the inefficiencies and aptitude of USC. But Mm -hmm. I need you just to understand that what I'm really doing is trying to highlight the guy on the other side. I just don't know how to do it any other way than this. Look okay. at a guy like Tolulobandan. I mean, struggles upon struggles upon struggles this year. Mm-hmm. If you are a guy like Brian Kelly are you designing your game plan around the, the – I'm not going to say him, because it's never mm-hmm. a good idea to design a game plan around just one guy. Too many things can go wrong. Right. But are you game planning your sort of – sort of the baseline for your defense on on the inefficiencies of this U.S. Is, is, is that right?
1: I think what you're game planning on is versatility and and – uh, understanding that you don't think USC can think quickly enough uh, and make decisions quickly enough to be effective. Uh, if I'm right, and tell me if I'm wrong, the strength of USC's defense is its linebacker and core, and uh, you know, so they're going to be involved in most plays because of where they line up on the field. So I, I just think if I'm Kelly, I am I am making them think. Uh, one play is a quick out. The next play is a is a counter trap. Then we're going long and. Like just don't let them get comfortable, and that's what he's been able to do against a lot of teams. Uh, they don't have to rely on any one type of player or one type of play, or you know, they're just going to keep USC backpedaling um, in terms of not knowing what's coming next, not letting them get comfortable. Uh, I'm in, I'm impressed. Like I I watched uh, Tulio Pupu, and I just thought, wow, that guy's a total stud. Um, but again, he's a true freshman, so uh, make him think. This is, um, it's you know, USC is doing something right. They beat Washington State earlier in the year, um, so they're not like without it. They, they 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 can play Mike well at least has to be
0: looking at that game just going. I mean, oh, he's just got a, 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 uttering four letter words.
1: Absolutely, but you know, like, this is Notre Dame is not Washington State. They're going to run the ball more. They're going to power you more. Uh, but most of all, they're just going to. Not rely on any one guy that's been their that's been their offense they and and I think that's what they do in terms of instead of like looking at who in u s c is the most inexperienced guy, where's their weak link uh I think it's just more about making them guess and making them not be comfortable
0: on 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 the offensive side of the ball, who do you look at uh, as sort of a defensive liability are are you know, we talked about Iman Marshall earlier in this in, in this podcast, and, and we're talking about a guy that that is known for maybe uh, letting his emotions get the best of him, letting letting uh, letting other people live rent free in his head throughout the course mm-hmm. of the game. Is this something <laughs> you are attacking over and over and over again? I'm
1: – I'm no, I'm not worried about it on Marshall's head. What I'm looking at is, well, I mean, is Greg Johnson starting at your other cornerback at 5'11"?
0: Because,
1: <laughs> because I've got two 6'4 wideouts and a 6'4 tight end, and, and, and you've got three interceptions all season long. So I'm not going to – like, again, I, they can – Notre Dame's patient. They will – they don't need to end the game five minutes into the game. They're not USC, but they know they can – like, you know, go to the trough all day long with a pair of 6'4 wide receivers. Greg Johnson's going to have to cover one of them on every play. Uh, and they're very happy to get, you know, like I said, five yard completions. They will do that all day long and all of a sudden they're going to burn you deep. Um, uh, one thing that, that Notre Dame fans are curious about and we'll see what happens. There's a wide receiver, freshman wide receiver named Brayden Lindsey, who was the Oregon State 100 meter champ, uh, who Notre Dame has on the roster and has not put in a game yet this year. He obviously isn't going to like lose his red shirt because it's, there's only you know two games or three games left max. So I, I think Notre Dame fans want to see this kid, and he's a burner. He's faster than anybody on the team. So if if you see that happen, if you see Braden Lenz in the game, I think that would be somewhat interesting and exciting for Notre Dame fans to watch. But uh, we'll see what happens with that. Even without them, like again, uh, three interceptions on the season, and you've got that wide receiving core. They're just gonna, they're just gonna play conservative and, and move the ball all day long.
0: Which of USC's receivers, if you if you find a way for them to move the chains, do, do mm-hmm. you highlight a burner? Like a Valish Jones, who can maybe get in behind that coverage. We already mentioned a, 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 a guy that JT Daniels likes to highlight. Um, you can assume that they'll bracket Amon Ross St. Brown for most mm-hmm. of, the, if not all of the game. Take him away from JT Daniels. I mean, basically force him to beat you without his favorite weapon. Uh, when he's had to do that, he's frankly looked inept.
1: Um, right. I think well again, I mean, I've been most impressed with Michael Pittman. I'm not sure how healthy he is right now, um but to me he's he's the most impressive receiver on u s c even including saint Brown um one thing and again, i hate this is i listen i'm just <laughs> I hate to sound like this guy who's i know I'm a Notre Dame alum and stuff, but I've watched this team all year. They pressure quarterbacks like I don't know that that, that Daniels has seen the pressure all season that he's going to see. Uh, on saturday um it, it's not about like leading the country in sacks. it's about pressure you could
0: you could maybe argue that Whittingham is maybe the only other coach in the country, and it's if, if you you could argue that not on the level of Notre Dame because Whittingham doesn't see those level of recruits, but in terms right. of guys who buy in and the effort they give him. That sort of relentless pursuit and pressure is is really only you you only have that Utah tape to look at.
1: I agree, I agree, and that's a that's a great example. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that Notre Dame is going to be aware of St. Brown, and they're going to like be aware of Pittman. But again, this is the number two pass efficiency defense in the country. Um, there's a reason like there's a reason for that, and they're not going up against the best offense they've seen all season. So. Uh, it, it's, it's really, it's about, is Notre Dame gonna have a letdown? And I just, I'd be shocked. But that's really like USC's best chance. I know this is a rivalry game, I get it, but, uh, I go to like a 2007 Notre Dame USC game or 2008 Notre Dame USC game, and for anyone with a short memory, USC won those two games by a combined total of 76-3. to and they and that that two thousand and
0: eight team with Mark Sanchez, the one year he was there. You know, people talk about that offense, but it was really the defense of that two thousand and eight oh, team that was the crux of it. I remember actually tripping out on that defense statistically that year, and they were better than the Pittsburgh Steelers counterpart, <laughs> which is making all similar noise because at that time you had a certain uh flying haired samoean on mm-hmm. uh, the Pittsburgh with... Steelers yeah so So I I I I agree with you. I don't think this looks favorable at all. What I what I want to ask is I want to ask you to go deep into your bank here and imagine a world in which USC wins this game. You can (laughs) laugh. Thank you. Thank you. I I wanted you to laugh. I want you to imagine a world in which USC wins this game and tell me how the hell they could do it. Give me some hope. (laughs) I
1: I think first you want to knock book out of the game and just create a little... Get, get to Wimbush.
0: Evidence.
1: Get to Wimbush. Not to be bad. I mean, you know, the guy is 5-0 as a starter this year, I think or 4-0 and as a starter. Oh, yeah, 4-0 and as a starter this year. Um, I'm wrong. 5-0 and as a starter. Uh, e- either way. All right, you get to Wimbush, uh, and then just, you know, it's got to be one of those funky games where Notre Dame commits weird turnovers. They get a pump block. Uh, Notre Dame's special teams this year has been... Uh, inconsistent to, to be, you know, kind. They've given up two kick returns for touchdowns. They had the punt block against Northwestern. So, special teams, miscues, knockbook out, and it's got to be a little bit funky. And if all those things happen, it's possible. I mean, this is the same stadium where a 41 point underdog once won a game, right?
0: Yeah, right. I, mean, I think USC so, would be fair to be a 41
1: underpoint. So, it, it's, it's not impossible. Um, Again, I just, I, I, this, what's really been weird to watch this year is this has been a pretty consistent effort, Notre Dame football team. Um, there's been almost no drama in the second half. They're, like, and, and, and this is the game for them. Like, it's not hard to get up for USC. Everything's at stake. So that's why it's just like it will be very very surprising if this is a close game after halftime. But
0: there won't be any excuses to say the least. Like you don't you don't have that. Well, they were looking ahead. No, this is USC. Right. You know no, they don't right, have any- like, you, you you shouldn't have these these sort of. Any uh, typical excuses that sort of play into an upset that that I think would be on the level of what we're talking about? Absolutely not.
1: And they won't make any, and, and no Notre Dame you know, fan will make any. This is if USC wins, more power to them. Knock Notre Dame out of the playoffs. not even a question. Uh, I don't want to hear. I don't think anybody I I know or respect will argue for Notre Dame to be in a playoff if they lose to USC. Like this is they, this is you know they've been on a. They know they have to go 12 and 0, not being in the conference pretty much, and and this is it. This is like the last step on a long journey, um, and it'll be it'll really be interesting to see what USC has, and it would I think behoove USC if they had like a junior or senior quarterback, the way Syracuse did coming into the game last week, uh, but they don't, which is why it's just you know 2008 in that stadium I watched and Notre Dame didn't get a first down. Until I think like the last play of the third quarter, and they got a courtesy clap from the fans. And, and I don't think Notre Dame will be that dominant, but it's similar to that stage. Like there's one team that is national. I don't California. think college
0: football is set up to, to to see a repeat of that 2012 national title game or or, or LSU. Uh, versus uh,
1: Alabama.
0: LSU. That was really the one I was trying to bring up. Not yeah. for 2012. That was more
1: just well, a, a, this is, a high score. Yeah. I mean, this is a good. This is the best Brian Kelly team. This is an actual good team. Like I said, I don't know that they'd beat Clemson, but I think that's going to be a really fun game to watch if it, tra- if it turns out that way. And uh, and there'll be no apologies. Uh, but Alabama this year, no one's. You know no one's shown that they can play with them, so there's no shame in that uh I think getting the national championship game is 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 like for any other team that's not in Tuscaloosa is the goal just uh and then you know you take your chances in one in one game but uh but the playoff
0: structure i'm I'm curious because I have you here, and I think that okay so you look at you look at the team this the way this playoff is set up and and Let's say that Notre Dame gets past Clemson, okay? And mm-hmm. and we assume that Alabama does whatever they're going to do against whomever it is, likely Michigan. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden you go from Alabama having about a month to prepare for a team like Michigan
1: mm-hmm. to having A week. Maybe
0: about a week to prepare for Notre Dame.
1: And not a does, real week. Does real that week.
0: actually favor a team playing Alabama, because if you're, if you're Notre Dame, you're never going to look past a team like Clemson, but you know, you can put, you know, Brian Kelly is not short of offensive assistants and guys who can start watching film on Alabama should they get that far.
1: <laughs> and Alabama has the same guys, but more. Right, they, <laughs> but, but, but at the same time, the, the limiting factor on this is always how much information you can put in a player's head. It's not how much the coaches can do. It's how much the players can absorb in a week. Um, It's always been the most frustrating thing about being a college coach. Like I'll get into five in the morning and I'll work my tail off. And you know what? They got they got school. They got girlfriends. They've got like it's only how much you can put into a player's head. That's so a month versus a week is a big big difference, especially when you're traveling. You have to do all the stupid mandatory media stuff, national championship week. So that puts it, Alabama at a relative disadvantage, only in the sense that it doesn't give them the same advantage they'd normally have. And I'd also say, like, you know, here's the thing nobody's ever going to feel sorry for Alabama, but to win a national championship, Alabama's going to have to beat three of the other five best teams in the country in, in their last three games. They're going to have to beat Georgia, which I think is the fourth best team in the country. Um, then they're going to have to beat whoever's number four. Then they're going to have to beat the winner of 2 3. Like, it's, they have a real road to have to win the national championship because the Georgia game is basically their first big playoff game, and it's not an easy one.
0: You know, for all intents and purposes, we have no idea what uh, what Fields is, is going to offer. It looks like he might provide them with a, a little bit of a boost heading in there. Um, all right, so I I think I want to wind down on on this note. For for you, and this is sort of a, a relatively straightforward, is was the switch from Wimbush to and I'm not trying to be lazy here, I'm looking at it more in terms of what its effect it provided for the offense, is the switch from Wimbush to book similar to what Clemson did when they went from a guy like Kelly Bryant made the tough call, realized early on that even if they got back to Alabama with Kelly Bryant running the offense, it was going to be more of the same. Trevor Lawrence gave them the opportunity to win big and do it then. It was the tough mm-hmm. call, but it needed to be made. Is it similar?
1: It's, it's somewhat similar, um, definitely, in the sense that uh – Like you said, like we can get back to that threshold again, but we can't cross through it unless we have Lawrence. That's the way they felt. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but that's the way they felt. I think the main difference is you've got a five-star super super stud quarterback sitting on the bench, and there's some you feel the the breath on your neck by not playing him. Whereas there was no one nationally, uh, and very few people like who are you know influential fans begging to see Book being in the game. I, I I do a blog every day, uh daily blog called Medium Happy, and you can go back to it. September 11th or 12th, I wrote that they should be playing Bo- Book, which was about two weeks before he came in. Uh, for the reason that you stated, they could win with Wimbush, but they were going to never win a serious game, in my opinion, with Wimbush. And I, I saw enough of Book last year to think that this is a guy that they can go further with. Um, but the relative talents of Lawrence and Book especially like from what people perceive of them there's there's no real uh, I don't want to say there's no comparison but Lawrence is obviously the much higher thought of guy um but as a Notre Dame person I'm pretty happy with Book because he's he's reliable and he's consistent but but to your point yeah there's definitely a comparison there and I the funny part is you could even say that Alabama did the same thing like they they thought they can only go so far with Jalen Hurts. They made cut. it when
0: it mattered most. Man, you've got to give them the credit. They made it. I mean, they – Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean
0: – That was joke- – the only move I've seen of that nature was Sean Payton, and maybe just because I'm a Saints fan, but, but ambush comes to mind.
1: hmm Yeah, I,
0: I agree. I mean, it's 13
1: nothing halftime of the national championship game. The guy you have a quarterback has already led you to a national championship. Like you're really gonna pull that guy? Like uh, uh, you know? And they do. <laughs> like uh, or at least led you to the national championship game. I should say. I think they they lost to Clemson, but but uh, you're gonna pull a guy for a guy who's I think barely played all season, and it worked. But uh, Nick Saban's got some big brass ones there. Like you got to, I gave him a ton of credit for doing that.
0: Especially when you saw the throw he made, you're like, uh, "This is either this guy's either stupid good or or uh, this is just severely lucky." Right. Uh, I'm glad you brought up me being happy because that was sort of going to be where I went to wind this down is to is to tell the people, and I'm not going to let you get out of here without a prediction. But since <laughs> we're already here, okay, tell the people. Where they can find your stuff, what they, what they can read when they go to to, to your site, oh. uh, and and for for those of the USC fans who try not to read anything Notre Dame fans write, it does happen, and vice versa.
1: And 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 uh, thanks, I appreciate. It. So, Medium Happy is just a free blog I do uh, Monday through Friday. It's not Notre Dame related. It's uh, it's basically uh it's just a, an idea i had years ago that i started six years ago and it's um it's five items for the day from sports news pop culture a quick riff on them um and I, I put a song in every day from from the last 50 years and just give you a quick like two or three sentences on that song with the youtube video and that's all it is it's nothing special um like i said it's free i don't make any money doing it it's just kind of like what i like to how i start my morning um, and then I write for the athletic, uh the thing called the bubble screen once a week. So um, anybody but wants to do, you know, look at that, that's great. If not, totally understand. But I can tell you, like, the bubble, the uh, medium happy is is not Notre Dame centric. I obviously probably, it's my school where I went to school, so I, you know, care about it a little bit more than the average school. But yeah, you wouldn't know it from reading medium happy.
0: No, and I encourage people not just to, uh I'm a big supporter, I've, I think it wound up that I like to say the athletic poached my timeline more than I, I think that, that my timeline, I follow the athletic. I think that's sort of the way it worked out. <laughs> um, but uh, if, if you're not a subscriber to the athletic already, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it, it's it, it's just, the end all be all right now. They're the bees knees.
1: Well, uh, we're the refugee day. camp for sports riders. Like if you've been
0: laid off and you're a sports rider, chances are you've landed at the Athletic
1: in one way, shape, or form, um, because that's the nature of the business now.
0: And there's a possibility that you were poached because let's be real, they have enough cachet now that they can do that. That's true. Uh, that um, is true. So now circling back to uh, oh yes, uh, if if you don't already. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, just like I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, at J Dubs G-U-B-S, kind of like you know Dubs, the 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 Washington mascot. Uh, with <laughs> by the way, you heard my speaking of huskies. You heard my my own Husky Gray Star podcast today. That was who mm. you heard. Okay. Um, <laughs> earlier with his. <laughs> but uh yeah j dubs eighty eight is where you can find him on twitter um but 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 sort of give me a brief brief synopsis of how you see this game going along with the final score uh
1: i think it's going to be uh i would say thirty eight to seventeen uh is is what I would predict the final score to be. I don't think they're interested in running it up, turning it into a fifty one nothing nineteen sixty six Notre Dame u s c game but i think they're interested in getting out to play off, front. Mind. Yeah, they they want to get out front and uh, and just keep everybody. I don't want to keep everybody healthy, but it's not about uh, anything more than like being up twenty four nothing at halftime and then just cruising. Or maybe you know. But I don't see no I don't see USC putting up more than seventeen. I don't see it a back and forth game. Um, I, I think if you guys watched the Syracuse game last week, you saw what's probably somewhat in store this Saturday it'll it'll just be a slow first half of you know making some plays and getting a comfortable two touchdown lead and then just being in control
0: what I like to call the slow methodical burn um <laughs> there you go, there you well, go. Man, if
1: I'm wrong have me on next week and I'll eat as much crow as USC fans want me to eat dude, I'll be, I'll be I too. I think
0: honestly dude You know how you talked about Iman Marshall posting his stats after a mediocre season? I'm
1: not Mm -hmm. the kind
0: of guy that's going to have a dude that just, you know, he got to watch his team win all of their games but one so far on after a 6-6 and season. I don't care what. I don't care (laughs) if you – at this point, to be perfectly honest, I would rather see Notre Dame and Michigan in the playoff because it represents new blood. It represents new ideas. It represents half this playoff has always been set. It's been set for the last three years. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for Notre Dame. I'm, I'm ready for Michigan. I, I, I genuinely do hope that both of them can provide a better game than, than I think pundits or experts are giving them credit for in anticipation of these games. I I genuinely hope that Notre Dame, if Notre Dame can beat Clemson and they get a rematch at Alabama in the title game. I mean, you talk about a season that's just sort of fallen every which way they want it. I'm not sure that that would end the way you want it, but it could. And that's all you want.
1: (laughs) I I, Listen, I'm with you. You know, if they get past Clemson, and I, it wouldn't shock me. They're, they're a confident senior veteran team. Uh, but I, I, I think it's really funny that we live in an age where we're saying Notre Dame or Michigan are new blood in the playoffs. <laughs> but it's true. You're right. It's just that like these are the two winningest programs of all time. But, but it's true. Um, for this, for this day and age, you know, getting Ohio State out of it for years, refreshing, uh, Oklahoma out of it for years refreshing and these are two schools that haven't made it yet in the relatively short history of the playoff and I think that's definitely very healthy for the playoff.
0: Agreed man. Um, well I think we have covered just about every topic underneath the sun Unless, <laughs> you know I, honestly I always like to give people a chance to ask me stuff. If there's something you wanted to ask me before we get out of here.
1: Uh yeah, what I mean, this is an easy one, but uh who's gonna coach USC's first game next season?
0: You know, if you if you ask the fans, it's gonna be Urban Meyer, um, which <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand it. Um, I'll tell you who I like because I I I think USC's requirement is that they know the fight song. Um, at this <laughs> point, that's that's sort of the running joke. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I would really like Dino Babers. And, and here's, the, I had, I had a better reason than, than, oh, he's a hot upcoming name. Justify it. Um, Dino Babers is a guy who's actually been coaching, uh, longer than a lot of these guys have. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's been around <laughs> since the early 80s, uh, right. in this game. Um, it sort of gets lost with him. Um, but but he has been around. He's also been at two uh, – at the time they were Pac-10 programs, but but he's been at two, and one of them being UCLA. He knows how to recruit in, in, in the Pac-12, Pac-10 landscape, especially Los Angeles. Um, he's been at Arizona, too. So this is a guy who doesn't just have one stop in the conference. He's got two. Um I I think he's probably as exciting as a name as you're going to get. I think that if you were to give him uh the talent of a USC that he could just do wonders with it. And I think most importantly, when you look at him you see an identity. Whatever it is, whatever you say about him, there's an identity to what he does. And USC haven't had that during the Kiffin era. They didn't have it during the Sartesian era. And they haven't had it during the Helton era. They've talked about it. They've talked mm-hmm. about the fact that they're going to get back to being that school. But they haven't had it yet since Carroll's left. And and right. I think Babers is a guy who ticks all of the boxes, Plus, he's got experience in the conference. And if you can't get him, um, and I've heard people toss this name out. If you could pry a guy like James Franklin away, um, I, I suppose I, I'm not as high on him, but I look at a guy who, anytime you win back-to-back nine win years at Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. uh, you you deserve a look at Vanderbilt. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, they haven't had a nine-win year since since before the Great Depression, mm. and, and James Franklin posted two of them. Um,
1: Dino's a San Diego kid. I mean, Dino knows Southern California. He grew up in San Diego. Uh, I find it, you know, really funny. If I think if Lane Kiffin had never come to USC as a head coach, that he'd be your number one target right now. If he had. Gone from Tennessee to FAU, uh, just never done that short stint as the head coach of USC. That I think everybody at USC would be clamoring for Lane Kiffin right now, and I don't think they'd be wrong. <laughs> but it's it may not be the right time.
0: No, I wouldn't bring back Lane Kiffin. Uh, no, no, <laughs> Lane, Lane Kiffin needs to do Lane Kiffin things. To be honest, let. Let Jeff Tedford bring Lane Kiffin in, you know, as, as he starts to wind down and let Lane take over uh, his old alma mater. That's <laughs> that's what I think Lane's next stock should be. I Prove think, you I can think, win where you're at.
1: Well, I, Lane's, yeah, Lane's pretty happy, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's very, it's very interesting because, again, it's one of the five programs in the country, five day seven, that it's always a sleeping giant. You just need the right guy, you know, driving a car.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm curious because I've talked about this, and, and we really can't get out of here on this note. I'm curious because I've, I've been kind of talking about him ad nauseum on my timeline lately, and a lot of people are pushing for a guy like Kyle Whittingham. Now, see, mm. here's a couple things with Kyle Whittingham. Uh, people like to bring up that he transitioned from the Mountain West uh to the 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 Pac-12 which isn't untrue but the Mountain West that he transitioned from um uh, was a lot better than the Mountain West that that we're currently looking at today. Uh right. there they they're, you had another Power 5 program in there to make that transition with you uh and and I just yeah, I don't know. The, uh, that's the first note there. The second note is is that we're looking at a guy who's averaging about 7.6 wins a year since he's been in the Pac-12. Uh, routinely around November has issues and implodes. And, and people like to say he has an identity and guys play up for him, and that may be the case. But he needed Herm Edwards to lose at Oregon in order to make his first conference championship game. He didn't win his way in. Arizona ultimately lost their way out. Um, so I, I Colorado made a Pac-12 title game before him. It looks like Washington State... Uh, we'll make a Pac-12 title game at the exact – and Washington State's had more success than he has with a coach about on a similar level. Um, I just – I look at Whittingham, and I see a guy who, to me, is more of a conundrum than it. Than I think he's a safe hire. I don't know that he's what USC needs after they hired the safe hire. <laughs>
1: It's, it's, you know, all I can say is there been that, and I agree with what you said about Whittingham. The guy who's perfect, uh, whoever that is, if there is a guy who's perfect, is not on everybody's lips right now. Um, and that's because maybe it's, it's, it's not, it's not easy to see, at least not from my vantage point. Um, and I go back to the best, you know, coaching hire maybe anywhere in the last 30 years, which was Pete Carroll. Like, that was not a guy everybody got excited about, but, it was the right time in his life. He was the right person at the right time, and and no one saw that coming. So, you know, maybe that guy comes again. Um, but but it's you know I would look I would really look long and hard, not just at the obvious names, not just at the coaches who had like nine to ten win seasons this year. Um, look long and hard because it is a great you know unstoppable. Matt Campbell makes your list. He makes my list, yeah, and and maybe he, you know, he's definitely in the top five of people I know, but again, like, there may be an assistant coach, there may be an NFL head coach, there may be, like, I just go, Carroll's a perfect example, because once he got there, it was like, oh my God, this guy fits like a glove, but I didn't see it coming before it happened, Um, and maybe there's some guy in the NFL right now that's in that same vein, uh, and again, I haven't looked as hard and long for that, but yeah, Matt Campbell is obviously the coach at Iowa State is someone that's on everybody's lips, but p j Fleck was on everybody's lips two three years ago, and he's not doing bad poorly, but you know it's really and Minnesota's is not u s c don't get me wrong, it's just that like it's not always it was always as easy as people think it is
0: no, it's not a one to one it doesn't no. it doesn't always follow well. On that note, my good man, I think we've BSed long enough. So <laughs> I will I will call to a close this here uh this here session of the courts and uh I think we will both depart saying that we uh expect the Notre Dame win. I think I can delete that from our conversation. Yes. Um And uh, we don't expect it to be – it may be closer in the score, but the game is not going to be close. Notre Dame is going to reach a point where they are comfortable that they can see the game out, and they may make substitutions accordingly because there are bigger games on the horizon, and you don't want a hothead like Iman Marshall going and doing something (laughs) stupid like shoving a player out of bounds.
1: No. And this would be the first time Notre Dame wins – at the end of the year in California since 2012, if they do.
0: So uh, on that note, uh, this has been another fine episode of Third Nerd Podcast. For my guest, John Walters, I am Josh Webb, and we will catch you next time here, back with our normally scheduled uh, sessions of me and Adam. Uh, We are anticipating an interview uh, that I dare not speak of until it's confirmed. But we have a name that we've been lining up in the comic book world that we really can't wait to talk to, so uh we will have more information for that uh for you in the coming weeks. Uh, but um I will catch you next time, so thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you.